Hello, and welcome to the Southern Cross Church Good Friday Lockdown Message. We're so grateful that you've joined us, and we hope that your time with us will be beneficial. In his Gospel, John writes, right at the end, that Jesus did many other miraculous signs and wonders that haven't been recorded, but these have been written in order that you might believe. I hope that our time together today will help you in your belief, that maybe it will help you to overcome unbelief, that it will spur you on and encourage you in your belief. So wherever you're at in your journey today, you're most welcome to listen in, and we're going to spend some time considering this Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus. And so in a very real sense, we're standing on holy ground as we think about what it costs God and Jesus to defeat sin, to defeat death, uh, to win salvation, to pay and ransom uh, us from our sin. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from John chapter 19, verse 16b, right the way through to the end of the chapter. So why don't you push pause on this video and go ahead and read that, and then come back in a second and we'll carry on. It's John chapter 16b, right the way through to the end of the chapter. Now John captures the emotion of the day without romanticizing the events. On one level, he gives us an incredibly lean description of everything that took place that day. But at the same time, uh, th although the description is lean, it is full of meaning. It's full of helps. It's full of the message and the purposes of God. The story in our passage today divides up into seven small scenes. The first scene, I'm just going to run through them quickly so that we've got a big picture overview. The first scene is in verses 17 and 18, where Jesus is led to the place of execution. He would have been carrying uh, the cross beam of the cross on his shoulders as he was led through the longest route through the city of Jerusalem in order to have the maximum impression upon all the people that had gathered there for the Passover. The second scene that we have is the inscription uh, or the charge that Jesus was executed for, that he is the king of the Jews, and Pilate's insistence that that be the charge that was placed above Jesus on the cross. The third scene is at the foot of the cross, where some soldiers gamble for Jesus' clothes uh, and obtain the spoils of war, as it were. In the fourth scene, Jesus speaks to his mom and some other women, and also to the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was in all likelihood John, who was writing this account. In the fifth scene, we read about how Jesus died, his last actions, his last words, and how he gave up his spirit. In the sixth scene, we read the account, uh, the death certificate, as it were, that Jesus was in fact dead, and that that was verified. And then in the seventh scene, we read about Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea going and burying Jesus in a tomb nearby. Now John puts across uh, his intention in this story by contrasting these little stories along the way. So I've just got three contrasts that I'd like to draw out for you that I hope you'll see this morning in the crucifixion of Jesus. And they're really contrasts between what we see from the human perspective and what God is doing from his perspective. So it's the human and the divine, as it were, if you want to break it down like that. 
The first contrast is between scenes 1 and 2, where Jesus is led to Golgotha, and the inscription or the charge that is laid against him. It looks as though Jesus is just another common criminal. The soldiers take charge of Jesus. He carried his own cross. He goes out to the place of execution, and there they crucified him. And they did it with two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. Now that has significance because Jesus was the chief criminal. He was the chief sinner. He was the most guilty. He was the spectacle uh, that everybody was supposed to look at and to see. The contrast is what, with what Pilate says about him. Pilate had a notice prepared. Now, Pilate, throughout the story, if you read John 18 and earlier in John 19, he kind of been hoodwinked by the religious leaders of that day. He wanted to set Jesus free. He decided that Jesus was innocent. But they twisted his arm and they used political movements and, and all kinds of things to get Pilate to do what they wanted to do. In actual fact, Pilate says, here, listen, um, do you want Jesus? I'll set Jesus free, or do you want this criminal Barabbas? Uh, who had led an uprising, and they said, no, 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 we want Barabbas. We want Jesus to die. And so Pilate sort of gets his revenge. He prepares this plaque, the king of the Jews. The chief priests say, look, don't write king of the Jews. Rather say that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. But Pilate said, no, what I have written, I have written. And so what Pilate does is he recasts the whole scene from God's perspective. In that moment, this stops being an execution, and it becomes an enthronement. The enthronement of the king of God's kingdom. Earlier on in John's gospel, in John chapter 10, Jesus said that when I am lifted up, then the world will know who I am. In this act of Jesus being lifted up, and this charge, the king of the Jews, being placed above his head, now the world knows who Jesus is. Humans look at it and say it's an execution, but from God's perspective, Jesus is being crowned the king. And Pilate does two incredible things at that moment. Firstly, he acts as a prophet, proclaiming the message of the Lord to the world. Here. Here is God's king. And he also becomes the first world missionary. I don't know if you saw, but he had the sign written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek so that people in languages that they would have understood knew exactly who Jesus was. That's the first thing. The contrast between a man, a criminal, a rebel, leading a, an uprising, being executed and God's divine king being enthroned. The second contrast takes place in stories 3, verses 23 and 24, and story 4, verses 25 to 27. That was the story about the soldiers gambling for Jesus' clothes, and Jesus speaking to his mom and the other woman, and to this, the disciple that Jesus loved. From a human point of view, the soldiers are completely ambivalent to the events that are taking place. Here is just an opportunity for them to get something from Jesus, to take something from Jesus, to make the most of the opportunity that's in front of them uh, to profit at another person's loss. 
But we read that when they divided up the clothes and they didn't want to tear up Jesus' seamless, what would appear to be expensive undergarments, they cast lots. But even in this moment, we need to see God's mysterious sovereignty, his hands upon the situation, because this happened in order that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. And so this is what the soldiers did. This is what the soldiers did. We need to see that God's purposes are alive from the cross. And how does this contrast help us to see God's purpose? That little thing about, that. so the scripture will be fulfilled, there's our clue. What happens next? Well, the contrast is that from the cross, Jesus expresses radical love. So here's the picture. At the foot of the cross, the soldiers are fulfilling scripture by gambling for Jesus' clothes. From the cross, from God's perspective, what does Jesus do? Well, in the midst of his pain and his agony and his very fast approaching death, he expresses radical love for those who follow him. He turns to his mother who was nearby and the disciple whom he loved and he said, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple he said, Here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. You see, God's purposes are not dead on the cross. They are alive on the cross. Look at Jesus' attitude towards the one that he loves. Even though his own death is upon him, he is still selfless in it. He still cares deeply for those who follow him. The risk that we run, friends, is to see Jesus uh, the way the soldiers did, to be ambivalent towards him, to just get what we can, to take what we can. Jesus, uh, give me what I can get from you. And to fail to see the radical love that he expresses to those who love him. At the foot of the cross, there's this fight for clothes. From the cross, what God is doing is he is bringing together a new family. You see, that's what Jesus does. At the cross, he creates a new family. He brings relationships together as he brings people into his family, into God's family. So there's the, the second contrast that we see working itself out. The world, ambivalent to Jesus, taking what they can, leaving the rest. But from God's perspective, not just a criminal dying, but Jesus accomplishing adoption into God's family through his death and expressing that in radical love and in deep care. He moves his followers from a heartbroken people to the family of God. And then we get the third contrast in uh, stories 5 and 6 and 7. And the contrast works a little bit in reverse. Uh, the contrast is between um, death and what that death accomplished. So we read verses 31 onwards. Uh, the religious leaders, they, wanted the, the, they asked if the 
execution could be fast-tracked because they didn't want God's dead people hanging on crosses during their Passover and on their special Sabbath day. So they say to Pilate, can you break their legs and move this along so the bodies can be taken down before the Sabbath? When the soldiers get to Jesus, they discover that he is already dead. Coupled with that, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus ask Pilate if they can take the body down and they can bury it. Here, humanly speaking, is the end of the story. I don't know about you, but one of the things that these last few weeks have really driven home for me is that I have absolutely no control over human death. My own, my family's, or anyone else's. Life and death belongs to the Lord, and He holds life in His hands. And when we read these verses, we think about it from a human point of view. Jesus is dead. That's the end. Because we know for ourselves that death is the end of the line. There's nothing beyond that. When you are dead, you are dead. And that's, for all intents and purposes, what we see happening here, that Jesus is actually dead. Of course, the irony is that the religious leaders who were hurrying things along so that they could celebrate the Passover had missed out on God's Passover lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But here's the contrast. The contrast is what Jesus' death accomplished. It just looks like another human death. But go back and look with me at verses 28 to 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine and vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with this, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. There are two incredibly important things that we need to take, first from Jesus' words, and then from his action and death. Firstly, from Jesus' words. Here's the contrast. Jesus says, it is finished. That is the Greek word, tetelestai. Now, I said I only ever give you one Greek word in the sermon, so here it is, tetelestai. And it's translated here, it is finished. It's a word that comes uh, from commerce and accounting. It's the word that would have been written across an invoice when a debt had been paid or an invoice had been paid. Tetelestai. It is paid. It is paid in full. It's like when you've got to go to the doctor and you need uh, that invoice so that you can submit it to your medical aid. And you need the stamp that's put onto it that says paid in full so that the medical aid refunds you and not your doctor. And what Jesus is saying here is that it is paid in full. The invoice is paid. It's done. Well, what's paid? The ransom has been paid. The ransom or the debt that needed to be paid, the invoice that was outstanding is this. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The wages that needed to be paid were for sin. And the wage, the payment, was death. When Jesus is saying it is finished, that is exactly what is going on. It is redemption. It is the buying back. It is the paying of the ransom. Jesus paid for that sin with his own life. The death that I should have died for the wages of my sin, Jesus dies on my behalf 
in my place as my substitute. That is the great exchange. His death for my life. Uh, my sin in exchange for His righteousness. That is what it means when it says that, when Jesus says that it is finished. But what's more than that is that with that, He bowed His head and He gave up His spirit. Remember what I said, that we have no control over our death? Well, Jesus did. Jesus had complete control over His death. He decided to die. He decided when He would die. And in that moment, in complete control of everything that was going on, even as He hung on the cross, He gave up His Spirit. He died for you. You see, friends, what we need to understand about what the cross accomplishes and what all of these contrasts keep, uh, teach us is that the life uh, that was, up until this point, lived away from God, that was lived apart from God, the chasm that was created by sin has now been bridged. It has now been clothed. We can now get back to God. But we can't get to back to God through our own efforts or through our own trying. Uh, we can get back to God because Jesus declared it is finished and he gave up his life. You might be asking yourself, well, why would I want to? My life's pretty good as it is. Uh, lockdown hasn't been so bad. And once it's over, I will just get back to normal. Well, friends, what I want to tell you is that life is always going to be full of all kinds of uncertainties. Right now, it might be COVID-19. But next year or next decade, it might well be something else. The cross gives us certainty in the midst of uncertainty. The cross is truth. The cross is ultimate. And the cross is absolute. I don't know about you, but when I look around at the world, what I see is hurt and pain and poverty and injustice. Uh, when I look deep within myself, I know that there's always this longing that I never seem to be able to fill. I always want more. But what the Bible tells us is that longing and the world that we live in is the way that it is because of sin, because there is a problem with the world. And the longing that we have is a longing for eternity. That the Bible tells us that God has put eternity into the hearts of men and women. And he's done that in order that we might seek him and somehow find him, even though he is not far off. He draws close to us in the cross. The cross is the only thing in this world that provides absolute and ultimate certainty. Because at the cross, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you ever questioned whether or not God loves you? You can know with absolute certainty that God loves you because he sent Jesus to die for you when your debt had not been paid, when you weren't forgiven, when all your good works were like filthy rags. That was when he died for you. Friends, God has made us for such a time as this. He has brought you here to this day to hear this message from his word. So that wherever you find yourself in your journey, he might wake you up. He might draw you to himself. He might encourage you towards faithful obedience in him and to continue trusting him come what may.
All God's promises find their yes in Jesus. All your debts have been paid in Jesus. All your guilt has been washed away in Jesus' declaration from the cross that it is finished and in his giving up his life there. Friends, what I want you to hear this morning is that at the heart of what Jesus came to do is a person, a person who did not know rest, a person who did not know forgiveness, a person who did not know peace, and a person who did not know truth, a person who was lost in darkness. But at the cross, we see with absolute clarity why Jesus can say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He is the King who has gone before us and opened up the door to heaven. Jesus is the truth. His words are truth. His actions are truth. When he says it is finished, that is the truth. And Jesus is the life. When Jesus uh, breathed his last and gave up his spirit, he gave up his life so that you could have life. At the heart of what Jesus came to do is a person. And what I want to tell you this morning is that that person is you. My hope and my prayer for you this morning is that you would make these words of Jesus personal in your life. That you would experience his radical love for you from the cross. That you would see him for the king that he is. And that you would hold fast to his words that it is finished. It is finished for you. That in his death on the cross, you would finally find life. That you would find life eternal. And all the blessings that come with a relationship with God. Made possible because Jesus is the door. And he opens the way. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. As hard as it is, we thank you for his death. We pray, Lord, that you would make it real for us. We pray that in some way we could experience uh, that death all over for ourselves. And that, Lord, you would make us eternally grateful and thankful for all that you have done for us. We thank you this morning that we get not the human perspective of what you did, of what took place, but that we can have the divine perspective of all that you were accomplishing on the cross that day. Father, uh, we pray that your word and your spirit would unite in our hearts and would bring about a rich harvest of faith within us and that you would spur us on to radically love you and others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.